Hello, One Church. Sitting here in Matt's office, and we wanted to take some time to record this week because on this coming Sunday, October 3rd, we will not be having a service and a sermon at St. Philip of Chapel or on Zoom because we'll be at the mains doing a child dedication. But we wanted to have something for you next week. And with Genesis 1, 2, and 3 that Matt's preached on two weeks in a row, there's a lot of things that we can still cover. So Matt and I are in his office, and we're going to sit, and we're just going to chat about two or three things. And we hope that this will be beneficial for you as you continue to grow and, and journey with us on this sermon series, Our Origins. Hi, Matt. Hey, Mike. So let's go ahead and just get right to it. Yeah. Let's start with the first thing, which was go back to two weeks ago when we talked about Genesis 1 and 2. And let's just talk a little bit about why we have such a hard time reading Genesis 1 and 2 in the Christian church today in America. Mm. So the first thing that comes to my mind on that is I think it's written to readers who are just way different than us. Uh, we, don't, we don't give much credit to myth or fable or like a collective story. Uh, in fact, even some things that in our country right now may have been a bit like that are, are extra critiqued on are they true to fact? Um, and, and I think that's a fair thing to do here, but we just read and tell stories so differently now yeah. that I think it's hard for us to value uh, what Genesis 1 and 2 was intended to be. I think about, um, so we live in Kentucky, of course, and I think about the um, Creation Museum mm -hmm. and kind of the stance that they take on, which is that if, if you don't read Genesis 1 and 2 in a very literal fashion, that it was seven 24-hour days, then you've undercut everything else that you do in your Christian faith and in your reading of the Bible. Yeah, I mean, obviously I, I struggle with that sentence and that stance on on anything. I, I think it's, it's, frankly, I think it's fun to come at things from different places. But I also think, even if you hold that viewpoint, if that's all that you think Genesis 1 and 2 is saying, which I don't know how they would handle the difference. Obviously, they know how they do it, but I don't know how they handle the differences between Genesis 1 and 2. But even if you say that, if you're only saying that, you're leaving so much richness out of those two chapters. Well, and isn't that a form of, and it won't be admitted by a lot of people, but that's isn't that us kind of reading our perceptions and our, our already assumed beliefs back into the text and not really dealing with maybe what the text was saying, who it was saying it to, and the original context around it? Yeah. I would definitely say that. And I also would say it's also limiting what God can say to us through it now. Because we're determining we already know. Yeah. Uh, but different points I've picked up. I mean, this week I picked up Genesis 3 as I was preparing. I've read this a ton of times. You know, this is one of my favorite books, probably my favorite book in the Bible. And uh, brand new stuff hit me in the face reading Genesis 3 just from context, just from my lived context and I was in a class on some stuff and just saw uh, particularly the tree of life differently um, and we really limit that if we already know what it says yeah 
And I think some sometimes folks get caught up. So we didn't say it outright, but there it feels like there's two versions of the creation story in Genesis 1 and 2. And when I read it, I kind of think of it as one story that complements the other and flushes it out from two different um, perspectives, so to speak. Right. But I think some folks struggle with that, or if they get punched, they get with criticism of, it's two different stories, so now you've already, in the very first three pages of the Bible, you already have contradictions. It leads some folks to, I think, probably struggle with not, if they're not comfortable with a little bit of a lack of certainty. What do you think about that? Yeah, there's a there's this quote I want to read you, and uh, I've been using this. It's in our little resource thing in Miguel A. De La Torre's uh, commentary on Genesis. Uh, he he writes this, and so I'm answering with a quote, and then let me know what you think. Okay. He says the stories in Genesis are real. Not necessarily because they have literally occurred, but because they reveal ethical certainties concerning God and God's call for love, mercy, and justice, even when the heroes of the story fall short of godly behavior. So Miguel doesn't deny that they literally occurred. He just takes the focus away from literalism and says that the stories are real. So what do you think of that? I think um, I, th I think I would completely agree that the stories are real, um, and um, I do like that they reveal the, the quote about ethical certainties concerning God and God's call for love, mercy, and justice, despite humanity, even the the, the limited humanity that we know of in Genesis one and two. Um, what I like what I like is is that. I think that also talks it it takes it out of the realm of um, science. Like we tend to, I know folks who tend to think to, will say that this is this is about science and this is about that kind of thing. And I don't know that that's what in the reading that I've done, like John Walton and his work in the Genesis series stuff, and that it, it wasn't necessarily about that. Um, and it's it's hard to it's hard not to admit that there were other creation stories around that had very similar characteristics of our Genesis creation stories, and 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 so it makes sense that maybe God's desire was more not to say how the world was created, but how to be a people that lives differently than the other people that may be around. Right. No, I, I think so. And I think there's something beautiful about... So we, we know just from, like, record, right? We know that they saw the world differently. It's, it's written in there, like, that the waters are, like, held up. You right. know, like, there, yes. there's some, some different stuff in there. They saw the world different. And I think it's beautiful that God works up with us in our understanding of the world. Exactly. He, yes. he doesn't say, like, hey... You got to get all this right before I bless you, before I allow you to be in relationship with you. He lets us fumble in our misunderstanding, both in the book of Genesis, we know through the history of the Israelites, but we also know in the early church, 
and we also know in the later church, and we also know today. Right. Like, we can be very faithful people who are still holding up a semi-fragmented faith that is, uh, like, like, I've told you before, people have asked Matt what school of Christianity do you belong in? Where does your theology belong? And I really think mine is, like, still forming. It's becoming. Like, right. I, I hope that I know Jesus more next year than I do today. And if there's contradiction in my teaching or in what I'm saying, I think it's because, hopefully, because God's revealing God's self more and more. And you're on uh, a process of growth. Yeah. That's and if I'm wrong today, yes, if I'm wrong today, I'm not canceled from the faith. Right. Um, I might have to face some uh, some damage I've done to my sisters and brothers or something, but uh, that's part of this journey, and I think we see that in Genesis. They can see the world accurately, and God moved through them. It's part of what's beautiful. Right. They don't record it scientifically accurately. Right. Um, and that's beautiful. Right. All right. So let's go ahead and move on to the next chapter, which is uh, Genesis 3, which is what we talked about last week. And I guess one of the first things that I always notice, and this relates a little bit back to what you just said about sometimes people have asked you, where do you fit theologically and what's your lane? And, um, and so I noticed this from a certain group of Christians w with Reformed theology that it feels like their, their, their beginning of creation always begins with Genesis 3 and the fall. Right. Because of and and the implications of that with us being um you know, our hearts are, are, are tainted and we can't trust our hearts and you know, we're sinful and and all those things. And you did a great job and as as I went back and re listened to that sermon, did a great job of saying some things that I did not realize, like about the curse. Isn't that interesting? And the curse was not on Adam and Eve. Right. It was on the snake and on the land. Right. The consequence was to them. Yes. Yeah. Now, I think Adam and Eve ended up bearing some of that consequence because they're in the creation with the snake. Absolutely. And with the land. Absolutely. But they were not cursed. Yeah, it wasn't this angry God right. cursing man and woman. Right. It was not. Yeah. And um, and then the the piece about um, how it's used to to harm really to harm women to harm yeah to, and to keep women in in, in a, a state of and even when you, you look in different parts of the Bible and the the references are back to Eve and how Eve was deceived and all those things it it can really well I have a wife and and two daughters so I'm I'm kind of pro woman. In the sense that I, I don't want my daughters and my wife to feel, um, I don't know if the right word's burdened or not, but, but that's what I'm going to use. Burdened with, with expectation or limitations that I don't know if God has intended. Right. Right. I mean, the, the you know, we, we get right in Genesis 3. Let, let me look it up and I'm holding an NRSV right now. Um we get this where the consequence is kind of explored. Um, uh, to the woman, 
you know, the, the says your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And, and I've been in circles where that's read as if that's God's command, that man shall rule over you. And that's really where God's explaining the consequence of this. And we've got to recognize that that's part of the pain. You know, we, we talked Sunday about pain being this Hebrew word not just being physical, but more mental anguish, anxiety, and that. And there's this anxiety to be not oppressed, not held down, um, and the result of, of this rebellion is that there's going to be oppression. And we see pretty much, well, yeah, I mean, not pretty much, from this page on, in the rest of this thick book, we see a people dealing with oppression, and God never really looks at that and says, well done. Right. And it feels like for those who start in Genesis 3, and they talk about, like, for instance, patriarchy, they'll, they'll say that that's the norm and that, that carries forward. But there are some Christian thinkers who think that it's the, it is the result of, of, of the first rebellion, as you called it, and that it's not God's ideal. And when it comes to relations between men and women and um, what women can do and what women can't do and things like that. Right, and I think God leaks that throughout the Old Testament. We see that in Jesus and the Gospels. We see that in the, in the early church. I mean, the one that we've talked about together in a small group was when uh, uh, Paul has the, the vision of, of the man in his oh, dream and he right. you know he has this vision of a man who needs him and he goes to the riverside and there's a bunch of women and there is no man listed um that's right in macedonia right i think that's right and uh there's no man listed but they go and start a church and that church ends up funding his mission for the rest of time uh, for the rest of his mission and i don't know that he would have turned around for a woman, and in a lot of ways, I think that's a little bit like what we get in Peter and Cornelius. I think that's yes. Paul in a gendered journey of realizing that. Uh, I, I just think that's how God uses that, and I, I think we see it throughout that God is revealing that this isn't intended to be men are more the image of God. That's never said, um, right. And yet that's a lived practice. And and frankly, a lot of men defend it because they want it to be that way. Right. And, and that's the faith they've been handed. And I don't think we always want to do the hard work of teasing out what's uh, really oppressive or not God-honoring out of our faith. It's just easier to swallow the pill. Well, and also, to, to back to the... the brief conversation with Genesis 1 and 2 about God working where the people were at in that time it sometimes seems to me that if that wasn't if, if, if a form of patriarchy was not God's intent but God was still doing what he did with their understanding of the beginning of the world which was he's not saying get where I'm at now and then we're good he's saying I'm going to bring you along and I'm slowly going to chip away the things that are not what I want seeing my people and I'm going to um, do it slowly because if I do it like a yank pull off I'll I may lose more of you than I'll keep yeah and I mean th this is a whole side thing but I think it fits here like there's a 
I've been reading some scholars who believe that God never intended for animal sacrifice. But that was so at the heart of human, the way humans worship deities, mm -hmm. that he allowed for sacrifice. And then he allowed for cleaner sacrifice, more humane killing. And then eventually was even saying, like, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And right. really was going towards God's heart the entire time. Right. And yet if it was just clean slate, what he wanted, no, I don't want animals dying for me. I don't need that. Right. Um, that's maybe just something to chew on. But I think we see over, over and over, we, we see when they go into Canaan, the Israelites are told how to handle the Canaanites and all that, but we know God's heart from Genesis 12 is that every nation is blessed, and we follow that straight through the entire Bible, even in times where that seems confusing. Right. And our faith can handle confusing moments. Yeah. This wasn't, we didn't ask to say this, but I do want to ask this question because this becomes, um, it becomes a, it, I think it becomes a sticking point in, in that. There'll be some that'll think, well, we should just we should just take the Bible word for word, and we should it it's it's sufficient the way it is. And in my head, I'm thinking, yes, I there are parts that are clear and easy, and there are ways in following Christ that are not hard. But then there are parts of our faith that are a little bit more difficult or complex. And this is one of those this is one of those spots where I think it is when you if you're honest if I'm honest with myself. I have to know that I'm bringing my own biases and my own experiences to the Bible, to interpreting what I'm reading, and that colors what how I read it. Oh, absolutely. Um, do you think Do you think that's one reason why, especially Genesis one through three, can have such a wide divergent opinions on what? Is thought about. Yeah, I think it is. And, you know, I think we don't even like to handle the fact that it's not written in English. It's not, you know, like all of these things. Because if if the if the very first steps of my faith, if the, if the first three pages I'm reading wrong, how much of the rest right. am I reading wrong? And I think we need to look at how much of it is our, how much of our righteousness is based on the fact that we're reading this thing right. Expound that a little bit. What do you mean by that? So I, I think... I, I just finished a book today, actually, by uh, Phyllis Tickle, the, the Great Emergence. Great book. And she writes a little bit about the Reformation, which if y'all have been with us this summer, we've talked a lot about the Reformation in... There's some great things that came of it, but there was some baggage that came of it. And part of the baggage was that all authority was shifted from the Pope to the Scripture which scripture is great, but if we don't know how to interpret, if we don't know what we're reading, um, that can be a damaging trait. And, and so part of the, what happened with that, particularly in our country, is that we think my correct understanding of the scripture and my, my right reading is what my faith is based on. And that's a really dangerous thing if then it turns out that something that I've always believed is incorrect, like patriarchy. Right. Right. Uh, like literal Genesis reading. Right. Um, any of those fall. It's a little bit like the milk crates we talked about a couple weeks ago. Everything just yes. goes toppling down. Um, 
But our faith is really intended to be in Jesus, and Scripture is to reveal more of Jesus, of God, of, of who we are. It's to help us make sense of this world. Right. And that's tough because, I mean, we want to be able to open the Bible, and I think we've been taught well, we can open the Bible and we can have a, a really good understanding of it. And I don't disagree with that, but I think that's just the beginning, that there are lots of resources now that can help us understand things that we miss. I mean, I, I don't, I'm a city boy. I don't understand any of the agricultural oh significance goodness. that is spoken of in an agricultural society. So to have someone to know that um, is helpful. Yeah, I mean, I was in a class last week in Nebraska, and some folks from Iowa are talking about life in their, in their town and how you get paid at a grain elevator. And I was like, I don't... They pulled a picture up to show me what they're even talking about. And that's agriculture in our culture, right. in our time. So yeah, I'm, I'm right with you. And, and I don't want to deter people from reading Scripture. And there's some beauty if you just sit and like ask God to speak to you through a passage. Absolutely. And you read a passage and you ask God to highlight something. That's a beautiful way to read Scripture. And I would encourage everyone to do that. But it's dangerous if you just casually read a passage, act like it's happening in South Louisville right next to my house. Right. And like you get it and then just check it off as if like, oh, now I know that. the passage. That's a more dangerous right. way to live. So I think like reading in that like Lectio Divina, that, that, that's a great thing to just ponder before God and imagine and all that. But otherwise, like let's get our, our hands dirty a little bit and... And handle this with some care. Absolutely. All right. The last thing we wanted to tackle was was this great term that you used in your Sunday sermon. At least I thought it was great, which is defiant intelligence. Yeah, I was really struggling with what to call that, uh, and particularly we're talking about the choice to eat of the free of the of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and what came of that. Um, yeah, I didn't know what to call it, so I'm glad you liked it. It was good. Yeah, in in uh, in thinking about it, can you? Why don't you give us some examples of of? You gave a little bit, but maybe a little flesh out a little bit more of what defiant intelligence looks like. Maybe for when we look in the Bible, but also in our context today. Yeah, I mean, I I think, and none of this I'm an expert on, so any of you can push on any of this, but um, I think what. What I'm gaining from this is really like, since the garden, we have chosen to be in, to gain an understanding of good and evil outside of our relationship with God and actually in defiance to God and be our own. The word I wish I would have used on Sunday that on the way home I remembered as I was talking with Durant is we want to judge what is we don't want to just learn. We want to judge what is good and evil and, and be the right. Like, I want to have that authority. Right. And that authority isn't ours. Um, and when you say judge, you mean, do we, you mean judge not just fellow Christians, but judge outside of fellow Christians? And ourselves. We want to judge every, my own life, your life. Okay. We want to be the, the final say in what is... Good. We want to have that knowledge. Okay. I, I, I think that's what that tree was about, and I think that's often what uh, 
we're trying to do even even in a lot of our Bible studies is we'll sit together and like what do we think about this sometimes what we're saying is where's the line right. what is good what is evil what's permissible what's not permissible when Paul says that it throws us all off like not everything's right. beneficial like no just give us a clear we, so that I don't need Jesus we want certainty yes I want to do what is right I want to do what is good I want to Proclaim what is evil and be against those who are acting evil and what is evil. And frankly, we want to do it outside of the relationship with Jesus. Or in the garden, outside of a relationship with God, which is what the actual offer was. And in the garden, and since then, God has been offering us life. And that's very different. That's dependent. That's that's what we say we want. Right. Um, but it's a very different thing. So what's, what is the counter def- to define intelligence? You just touched on it a little bit in like God's given us life, but flesh that out a little bit on what that means I, to counter I would, that. I, I would say that, um, so God does give us intelligence. Yes. He gives us great wisdom, and we're to seek wisdom. But wisdom, I would argue, uh, comes within that relationship with God, within the Holy Spirit, now that we're living in this era, that the Holy Spirit working through us and even blessing our eyes and our minds as we're reading it's not defiant it's it's submitted it's it's humble it's vulnerable that's probably the word that I would use um, and I say all of this I'm stumbling a little bit because I know there's some scholars who really hate this part who think it points to God being controlling and God being mean and this was this liberating act and it was the adolescence of man and woman and they're smarter than me, but I would very much disagree with them that I think this is really an act of rebellion and an act of defiance. And it's not that God doesn't want us to be wise. He does not want us to be wise in our own eyes. Yeah. He offers us a different wisdom. Yeah. Um, and we would settle. Uh, I don't know everybody's heart. I would settle. Too often I've tried to settle. Right. And it's. Well, it's more comfortable to, in that defiant intelligence, as def- as as exemplified through judging, it's much easier to do that, take the spotlight off of you or put it on somebody else and not looking at yourself. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think the word defiant is key there. Like, yes, that uh, it might be semi unconscious that we're doing it, right. but we are like. No, God, I'll listen to you in 80% of my life. But in 20%, I'm going to be defiantly right. the other way. And in order to do that, I have to justify that this is good. Yeah. That this is okay. Well, and that also should be the ongoing process of growing in faith then, shouldn't it? Right. And I would say, like, whatever that act is. Like, let's say it's... Um, we went out to dinner tonight. So, like... Eating my feelings, which I know for me, like that's that's not a healthy thing. Right. That's not something God God wants me to go to Him with my feelings. And sometimes I would rather go to a dessert. Yeah. And I kind of know within me, like, no, I I can eat a good meal. There's nothing wrong with enjoying that. But, um. and, And so there's that moment of like, okay, am I going to? say oh but we're celebrating or but I'm this or but I'm that which is really my way of just making it good 
right? At least for the moment. And we do this in a thousand different ways. I'm not trying to just pick on that one, but that's. And we and when we know God could just do it instantly, we know that the Spirit could, you know, make us exactly what God wants us to be. But then we have this tendency. Then we would move on, and and so it seems like that's kind of the on why we have to on we have our struggles. Yeah, because and the point keep, isn't eating, right? Like right. the the point isn't that dessert. The right. point is, am I going to remain defiant, or am I going to be in relationship? It's not so much that the dessert is bad or the whatever we're talking about. It, it's not so much that that is a bad thing. It's that if 20% of me is bent against God, right? because in just defiance I want my own space, that's what God wants. Um, and we tend to make that thing evil. No, it, it works some evil in me. Yeah. But it's the thing is fairly neutral, whether that be money or... Right. work or sleep or you know we can we can make a lesser god of anything right and the hope of the the hope of walking with god day by day is for that for that 20% or whatever that percent be to lessen as you as you walk yeah not be as 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 big which means that we're always probably going to be dealing with something because that's kind of the nature of where we are, we're, and that's where I guess I would agree with people who start in Genesis 3, that yes, there is something wrong. There is a defined intelligence that we have chosen to do. Right. And being in a relationship with Christ means hopefully I, ha- I, I choose that defined intelligence less and less. Yeah, and that's where I say, that's where I would say it's so important that we begin in Genesis 1 and 2, because like that, like the core of who Mike is, is not that defined. Right. That's not the core of you. That that's like your your play acting. That's like you're pretending to be someone else. That's where um, the core of who you are, the core of who you're intended to be, is an image bearer. Is a filled with the breath of God. Right. And so it's returning to something that is the core of you. It's not um, shedding all of you to pick up something you've never been. Like, yes, Paul says you're a new creation, but that new creation is Genesis 1. Right. Um, realized. Yeah. All right. Any final thoughts? Oh, this this is fun for me. I hope a few of you listen. Uh, the thing that actually has me all geeked out and thinking about is the tree of life. So maybe we talk again sometime Yes. about, about this. Because uh, that, that's got me a bit of a mess. Okay. Yeah. So we'll do that. Why don't we do what, what we what we Christians tend to do on a, a sermon podcast, which is close in prayer, and I'll go ahead and close us in prayer. Sounds good. <laughs> thank you, God, for this chance to be together with Matt, and thank you that um, your word is active and alive, and that um, you want us to grow. I thank you for the many ways that you help us grow, and I just ask that you would give us the desire to grow in our faith, and our desire to know you, and to be at the core who we are, that image bearer that you've created us to be. Thank you for this time, God, and may this bless those who listen. In Jesus' name, amen.